I heard a story last week about a preacher's son who wanted weekend privileges when it came to the automobile. He had just turned 16 and gotten his driver's license. So he asked his dad if he could have the car on the weekends. His dad, being a preacher, said, yeah, that'll be fine, but you have to do three things. Preachers always come up with three things. Three points, a poem, and a prayer makes an official sermon. He said you have to do three things. You have to bring your grades up. You have to study your Bible more. And you have to get your hair cut. After a few weeks, the boy had brought his grades up. He had been studying his Bible every day. But he had not got a haircut. But he decided to approach his dad and resubmit his request. His preacher dad said, well, son, you've brought your grades up. You've definitely been studying your Bible more. But you didn't get a haircut. And the boy said, well, dad, I've been thinking about that. And Moses had long hair. Samson had long hair. And from all the pictures I've seen, Jesus had long hair. So I really don't feel like that's necessary. And his preacher dad looked at him and said, Yes, son, you're right. Moses had long hair. Samson had long hair. And Jesus had long hair. And they walked everywhere they went. (laughs) Well, I don't know if we're going to get everything we want in one sermon. Not when it comes to this topic. Uh, I know the sermon series so far. This is the fourth in the series. There will still be at least two, maybe three more lessons on understanding God. We've come a long way, but we've still a ways to go. But, as we continue in our topic of understanding God, we need to remember where we've been so far. The first lesson we dealt with pointed out that God is incomprehensible. We can never completely and 100% comprehend an incomprehensible God. That God is eternal. He is the uncaused cause. There has to be an uncaused cause, and He is it. God is triune. He is a triune being. The Godhead consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one in unity and purpose. He is Creator of all the universe. Everything that exists, everything you can see, everything you can't see, uh, was made by Him. In our second lesson, we saw where God is sovereign. He rules this universe. Now, He is granted to you and to me free will, limited sovereignty to choose to either follow Him or to reject Him. But ultimately, God is sovereign. He is infinite. He cannot be contained. The highest heavens, the heaven of heavens, Solomon said, cannot contain Him. He is transcendent. He goes beyond this creation. He sets outside the scope of time and matter and space. In our third lesson, we saw where God is self-existent. He has always existed, and therefore we saw God is self-sufficient. We saw where He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the past, the present, and the future perfectly. He even understands and knows alternate realities. We saw where God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is 
nothing that God cannot do that is subject to power. We talked about how some things were not subject to power. For instance, God cannot lie. We talked about God's omnipresence and how He is everywhere at once. He fills all creation and beyond. And yet He is uniquely with us where two or three are gathered together in His name. Today, we're going to look at the fourth lesson in the series. There are three points. God is immutable, God is faithful, and God is good. And I want you to understand we are moving from what God is as far as character to moral traits that God possesses. Now, before we delve further into this lesson, keep in mind that God's attributes are how God is, not things God has. God's attributes are at harmony with one another. In other words, God's love doesn't sit there wringing its hands over God's justice. And God's righteousness and justice doesn't spit in the eye of God's mercy and God's grace. God is at perfect harmony with Himself. Many of God's attributes, we also need to understand that many of God's attributes overflow into other attributes. Tozer put it this way, God's attributes are not isolated traits of His character, but facets of His unitary being. They are not things in themselves, they are rather thoughts by which we think of God, aspects of a perfect whole, names given to whatever we know to be true of the Godhead. To have a correct understanding of the attributes, it is necessary that we see them all as one. We can think of them separately, but they cannot be separated. So when we consider God's attributes, we must understand that God is a unitary being. He is one with Himself. He is at perfect harmony with Himself. He is not at odds with Himself. God and those things that we know about Him and those things that we call attributes are in perfect harmony with each other and God's character as a whole. If God were at odds with Himself, He would lack unity. He would be something less than a perfect God. Now, with those things in mind, let's get into the lesson and see what else we need to understand concerning God. First, we need to understand that God is immutable. Now, when we say God is immutable, we simply mean God never changes. Now, unless God did something that is beyond the correct definitions of science, or the current definitions of science would be a better way to put it, uh, we know that the universe is at least 13.6 billion years old. God has never changed in that 13.6 billion years. God has never changed in the eternity past. For all eternity, God has never changed. He has always been the same. You see, if God were to change, He would either have to change for the better, or He would have to change for the worse. Now, if He changed for the better, then that would indicate some lacking prior to that change. And hence, God would not be the God of the Bible. If He changed toward the worse, then that would indicate a current lacking that takes place after that change. And God would not be perfect now. Now, that isn't to say that God is hard-headed or obstinate. Those words lend themselves to flaws. And God is perfect and without flaws. When we speak of the 
immutability of God. We are pointing to the fact that God never changes because change would indicate some lacking on the part of God. Flaws that would need to be corrected. Positions that would need to be adjusted. And if He had that, then before or after the change, He would be less than perfect. Now, we serve an unchanging God. His divine nature never changes. But we need to understand something. God does change His actions in response to conditions. For instance, Hezekiah was the 14th king of Judah. He was a good king. And in Isaiah the 38th chapter, in verse 1, it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you're approached by a man of God who says, Thus saith the Lord, you're going to die and you're not going to live. That's not the kind of news that you want to wake up to. But the story doesn't end there. In verses 2 through 5, Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go. And say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. So in this situation, God changed his actions. But God himself never changed. He's still exactly the same God. Also, another example would be the antediluvians. Those are the people that lived before the ark. In chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, verse 5 and verse 6, the Bible says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. So here's a situation where the King James says it repented God. Did God change? No. God's hatred for sin has always been present within the character of God. But the actions of those men became such that it changed God's actions and He moved to destroy them. Verse 7 and verse 8, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We need to understand that wickedness and righteousness change the actions of God. They do not change God, but they change the actions of God. In the case of Hezekiah, he was granted another 15 years. In the case of the antediluvians, they were destroyed. Righteousness and wickedness, our actions can change the process by which God does something. But it will not change God Himself. Tozer puts it this way, God cannot change for the better. Since He is perfectly holy, He has never been less holy than He is now and can never be holier than He is and always has been. Neither can God change for the worse. Any deterioration within the unspeakably holy nature of God is impossible. 
Indeed, I believe it impossible even to think of such a thing. For the moment we attempt to do so, the object about which we are thinking is no longer God, but something else and something less than He. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God says, I am the Lord, I change not. In James the first chapter and verse 17, the ESV says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In Hebrews the first chapter and verses 10 through 12, the Hebrew writer said, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of Thine hands. They shall perish, but Thou remainest. They shall all wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. In Hebrews the 13th chapter and verse 8, in reference to the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the fact that God does not change, and the fact that God is immutable, is a two-edged sword. It offers both comfort and consternation. Comfort to those who seek to do God's will, who want to hear His Word. They want to follow Him and they yield their lives to Him as best they possibly can. To those individuals, God's immutability is comforting. God is not going to up and run off to the other side of the universe. He isn't going to do like many men do and change His mind and begin to call evil good and good evil. The same loving Christ who said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. He does not change. Now, to those men who spurn His authority, His sovereignty, His love, and decide they are going to follow self. To them, His immutability will cause nothing but distress, fear, and anguish. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 4 speaks of the Lord being angry forever to those who do wickedness. God's action toward the antediluvians was destruction. The same thing's true when it comes to the Christian age. Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 31 says, For if we, he's talking to Christians, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore of punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God has always been and will always be angry toward the indifferent, the rebellious and the wicked. Always. That doesn't change. It never will change because God cannot change. He cannot move from a position of pure and righteousness, holiness, and move to a place where we should say, well, you know, God needs to lighten up. He is holy. 
He is just. He is righteous. We'll get to those attributes in the next couple of lessons. But He doesn't move to where we are just because we're here. He cannot tolerate evil. He cannot even behold sin. God is immutable. And for Him to move from His position of holiness to a position where we are would be wrong. How is it relevant? God's promises are at the very character of God. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verses 6 through 8, says, All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, the grass withereth, and the flower fadeth. But the Word of our God shall stand forever. Now you say, wait a minute, now you're talking about the Word of God. Well, every one of us have heard the saying, A man's as good as his word. Well, that basically also applies to God. He is as good as his word. If God's word falls short of his promise, if for some reason he changes, then he becomes a liar and he becomes guilty of sin. We sing standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail standing On the promises of God, I don't know if we realize it, but every time we sing that song, we affirm the immutability of God. Rest assured, because God is immutable, all of His promises, all of them, in reference to judgment, in reference to heaven, in reference to hell, in reference to eternity, torment, eternal bliss, all of those things will come true because He does not change. And His Word is sure. The next thing we need to understand about God is that God is faithful. In some sense, this overflows with the previous point. God is faithful no matter what. Because I have a God, and because you have a God that is faithful, we can rest assured that He will accomplish what needs to be accomplished in our life as long as we seek to follow Him. Before I can actually proceed with faithfulness, we sort of need to define it. Now, Webster's not going to do us a lot of good here. We need to see what the Old Testament says about God's faithfulness. What the New Testament says about it. In the Old Testament, Moses said in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commands to a thousand generations. Now the Hebrew word used for faithful here is the Hebrew word aman. It means to be permanent, to be true or certain, to go to the right hand, assurance, of long continuance, steadfast, sure, surely, trusty, verified. In the Hebrew, it means God is permanent. He is true. He is certain. He is sure. He is faithful. In the New Testament, 2 Timothy 2, in verses 11 through 13, Paul said to the young preacher, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him... He shall also deny us if we believe not. He about is faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Now the faithful in the Greek is from the Greek word pistos. It means of persons to show themselves faithful in a transaction of business, to execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. One who is worthy of trust and can be relied on. God is faithful. Old Testament, New Testament. It doesn't matter which way you go. He is faithful. He is sure. He is permanent. He can be relied on. God's faithfulness is the bedrock of Christian hope. 
Tozer puts it this way, upon God's faithfulness rests our whole hope of future blessedness. Only as He is faithful will His covenant stand and His promises be honored. Only as we have complete assurance that He is faithful may we live in peace and look forward with assurance to the life to come. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, Know ye therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love Him and keep His commands. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. Psalms 36 and verse 5, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heaven. Your faithfulness to the skies. Psalms 89 and verse 2, I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Psalms 33, 4, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. We need to understand that God is faithful to us. God was faithful to Abraham. He promised Abraham that he would bear a son. And though he was a hundred years old when it happened, God fulfilled his promise. He promised that the seed of woman would eventually destroy the serpent. In Genesis 3 and verse 15, as he spoke to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The fulfillment of that prophecy is in 1 John, the third chapter, and verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. After the flood, promises were made by God. And he has been faithful to keep those promises for thousands of years. Genesis 8, 21 and 22, the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Every morning you wake up, you experience God's faithfulness. God is faithful to the people of Nineveh, even though they were opposed to God and did not deserve His faithfulness. And though Jonah would run in the opposite direction, Jonah said the reason he did so is because he knew God would forgive them. But God would turn Jonah back in a very harsh way. He would preach to that great city and they would repent. He was faithful to Nineveh when Nineveh was not faithful to him. The relevance is God is faithful to us always. He is faithful to us when we are tempted. 1 Corinthians the 10th chapter and verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. God is faithful to us when we're tempted. God is faithful to us in keeping us faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. God is faithful in His forgiving us of our sins, though some of us sometimes take advantage of that faithfulness. 1 John, the first chapter, verses 6 through 9, if we say we have 
fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to us in forgiving us of our sins. God is faithful to God. And you say, what do you mean by that? When Jesus was betrayed and the soldiers came to take Him, Judas kissed Him. It was Peter who stood up, who had a sword and began to swing that sword. Matthew 26 Verses 51 through 54 says, Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish by the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my Father and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then... Shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Jesus was faithful to God. God was faithful to God. The second person of the Godhead was faithful to the first person of the Godhead so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. He is still faithful. He is still faithful to you. Even though you may not always be faithful to Him, God is faithful. Finally, we need to understand that God is good. God is the only real good in the universe. Jesus defines good for us in Matthew 19, verses 16 and 17. It says, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. The only one who is genuinely, absolutely, completely, totally good, and the origin of all good is God. That's what Jesus was saying. He was also, I think, quizzing that man to ask him, do you recognize if you call me good, recognizing God is the only one good, do you recognize my Godhood? Tozer said this concerning God's goodness. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and His unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By His nature, He is inclined to bestow blessedness, and He takes holy pleasure in the happiness of His people. The Bible points to the fact that God is good over and over again. Psalms 34 and verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him. Psalms 100 and verse 5, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Psalms 135 and verse 3, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto His name, for it is pleasant. Lamentations 3, 25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. Nahum 1 and verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust Him. Now there would be some people that may object to God's goodness. The atheist and the unbeliever point their finger in the direction of suffering and injustice and say God isn't good. Here's their argument in essence. They say God is all-knowing, according to Christianity. God is all-powerful. God is all-good. 
It would go to follow that an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful God would eliminate suffering. Therefore, God is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-good. Or He does not exist. That basically is their argument. Now let me take a minute to answer it. First, God created everything good. After every single day of creation, the Bible says God saw that it was good. Second, God's sovereignty has decreed that man should have freedom of choice. Therefore, man has the right to choose between good and evil. Third, man in exercising his right to choose chose to reject God's counsel and therefore sinned. Fourth, suffering, evil, and death exist in the creation because of man's choice, not God's. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Fifth, God entered into our suffering, into this world of death, in order to deal with sin. Romans 5 in verse 15, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Chapter 5 and verse 19 of that same book, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Six, God will eliminate suffering and death to all those that come to Him, but on His timeline. Revelation 21, verses 1-7 through 7 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him who is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We need to understand in that final aspect of that argument, God will right the wrong. Suffering will end. Death will end. But it will happen according to His wisdom. According to His omniscience. According to His timeline. We brought sin into this world. Christ atoned for sin on the cross. God will eliminate sin completely in the end. Some people may say, well, how can a good God cast people into hell? That's a good question. I'll answer it when we get to the justice of God. Make sure you come back. Despite the objections of finite creatures who fail to see the scope of God's character and the scope of God's plan, God is good. God is good. God is good. The relevance, remember what Tozer said, the goodness of God is that which disposes Him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. God is patient and kind. He is benevolent, full of goodwill toward us. If you remember Luke, the second chapter, verses 8-14, through 14, 
The Bible says there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were so afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill toward men. The incarnation of the second person of the Godhead caused the host of heaven to sing goodwill toward men. God is good. Jesus was not born to occupy a manger. He was born to occupy a cross. God is immutable. God is faithful. God is good. He promised a Savior. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Say, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God is immutable. He promised the Messiah and the Messiah at the right time came. God is faithful to us, even though we may not always be faithful to Him. Revelation 1, 5 and 6 from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is faithful to us even when we are not always faithful to Him. And God is good to us. Romans 5 verses 8 through 10. God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. We didn't deserve that. But God is good. God is good. The question is, have you responded to His goodness? This morning we selected a song to encourage you that if for some reason you have not responded, or maybe you have, but you've gotten away from who God is, how big God is, how you and I will stand before Him one day, an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, and give an account of our lives. Maybe you've forgotten about that. We get so sidetracked here. In this world, the devil is a master at deceiving. He gets us to focus on here. Though it's eternity. Eternity that matters. I saw an illustration last week and I didn't bring it. I don't know if it would really work here. I don't have a lot of room to move around. But a preacher took a rope that he had stretched all the way across the church building. And he said, consider this rope. Think about it as going on forever. It goes out the door. It goes to Milledgeville. It goes on over to Macon. It goes to California. It goes across the Pacific. It goes around the world over and over and over again. At the end of the rope that he was holding on to was about six inches of red. And he said, this is your life. Here's what we do. We sit there and go, boy, I hope that I work right here 
on this part right here. If I work real hard right here, then I'll get to have this part right here. And I'll get to rest in this part right here and I can go fishing and I can retire and I can get a camper. And I can ride around and I can see all these wonderful things. But I've got to work real hard here and I've got to save all the way there and then I'll rest and relax here. And we never look what's beyond that little bitty red line at the end of that rope that stretches out forever. The devil's a master at deceiving us. A master at causing us to forget how big God is. How unbelievable eternity is. What matters? Here, if you live to be a hundred, a thousand times, a million times, it is nothing on the scale of eternity. What matters? If this is real, if God exists, then you and I will meet Him face to face. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all give an answer. For our lives and those things that we have done in our lives, whether they be good or whether they be evil, and eternity will be the only thing before us and then it will be too late. We can't change. What we do in that little red piece of that rope matters only as to how we follow or do not follow this Almighty God. But the devil says, don't worry about the rest of the rope. Focus on this little bit of red. I hope that our vision... Is bigger than that. I hope our vision is eternal. 